I'm Christina, the CEO at Scopio, the largest library of authentic photos. You can find us on Instagram at Scopio Images. And this is a series bringing the most talented photographers around the world to give us tips, ideas, and tell us about current events they really care about. We know you will find actionable, real steps to build your career and ideas. Hope you enjoy. Hi everyone, we have a special guest today, Jessica Abo, who is an award-winning journalist who you might have seen on the Today Show, Good Morning America. She is a featured journalist on Entrepreneur and also has a one-to-one -one media coaching and five-week training masterclass. Um, she also is the author of How to Be As Happy As You Look on Social Media, which is a book to help stop falling into the compare and despair trap and take back their happiness in real life if there was ever like a title that was the most important title of our generation, I think this is it. You are so it, kind. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> um, so I would love to start by, so Scopio's um, community is largely photographers and artists from around the world um, that share their stories and want others to be inspired and to learn more about their communities. Uh, many of which are underrepresented, underrepresented. And um, as you know, we also have a book where many of them are featured in their stories. And so I wanted to take the time today to get your perspective on how, you know, there's been so many changes, especially if we talk about from a social media lens, Instagram has changed fundamentally for especially photographers who used to be able to show their work and have accolades and have people come, you know, come check out their pages. Now it feels like we're just trying to play a game to get attention because no matter what we do, it feels like sometimes nobody is seeing us. Nobody is seeing our value, our worth. And I wanted um, to talk with you about ways, you know, that we could really pick ourselves up and show the world really what we have, despite the difficulty of all the algorithms that feel like they're against us these kind of cocooning communities that are getting worse and worse as time goes on. And um, so I hope by the end of this, we'll have really inspired somebody to really like feel positive and motivated about um, people really seeing their message and who they are. I love that. And, you know, I think this algorithm issue is really something that everybody can relate to small business owners, experts, authors. I think anyone out there who is using social media as part of their marketing plan is feeling the, the pain of how do I get myself seen? How do I get my products out there? And I think everyone is in the same boat. So what do we do? <laughs> Well, I think, I think social media can be a part of your marketing plan, but it doesn't have to be the entire plan. So for someone like you, who is an author, yes, you want to reach as many people as possible and maybe hop on Instagram and do an Instagram live from time to time with one of the photographers featured in the book. Perhaps you want to read an excerpt from the book and post that to your Instagram. I think what we're learning is the more features you use, the more you're rewarded. And there are so many social media experts out there who can teach you how to be better at the social media game. But when I think about press and I think about PR and I think about marketing, I think I see social media as just one piece of that pie. So for me as a journalist, I think about all of the ways that people pitch me their content. And if you think about PR as a big pie and you put that pie into slices, 
a lot of those slices represent different pitches that I receive on a daily basis. And they mirror the kind of pitches that I have received over the past 20 plus years working in this business. So there could be an angle to someone's work related to what's trending, to a crisis, to breaking news, or it could be an inspiring story, or it could be a book tour. There are lots of reasons why people might pitch me and say, I'd love to be featured on the news, or these days, I'd love to be featured mm -hmm. on entrepreneur media. And I think if the photographers in the Scopio community think about themselves and think about their stories and think about what makes them as people newsworthy, what makes their work newsworthy, what makes the work they're doing today connected to their community that would inspire a local news crew to show up and do a story. I think people can be connecting with real people in real life and off Instagram itself. So let's say someone is doing a pop-up at a high school or they're teaching students how to be photographers in, the, in this crazy world we live in, or they're teaching self-expression through photography and they're doing it with elementary school kids. These are the sort of things that local newsrooms love to know about because local newsrooms want to be hyper-local. They want to feature their own. They want to feature how people in their community are making the world a better place and how people in their community are bringing their time and talent to different parts of their community. So I think people can start to think about themselves as news stories and try to break into the, the news environment and be able to complement that with social media. And by that, you mean like email people that work at the news station, go there directly. Um, like, what can you do to reach out to them? So I think let's take in your case, the photographers who are capturing COVID. Perhaps there is a local photographer who wants to reach out to the community and say, I am partnering with a hospital and I am doing a, a series or an exhibition or a gallery that is honoring the frontline workers because perhaps this person had access of some kind and they had photos of this community working during mm -hmm. you know, the, the toughest times of the pandemic. They would wanna reach out to the local newsroom. They would wanna contact someone called an assignment editor or they would wanna go online and find out who is the health reporter, who is the lifestyle reporter, who is someone who maybe lost a loved one to COVID or is married to someone who is working on the front lines. You know, Try to find those personal connections and say, okay, I'm doing this event in the lobby of this hospital on this date at this time and we would love for mm -hmm. a local news crew to show up. So some of the things that people can do to make relationships with the media are first, figure out what are the local newsrooms that are in your city? What are the local newspapers? And then also think about podcasts that you listen to as a listener and Google how to get on those shows. Once you find out the name of the outlet and the names of the reporters that you want to connect with, start following those people on social media, start liking their work, start commenting on their work, start engaging with them, start resharing their work, start making your name visible to them also so that by the time you pitch them something, you're on their radar and it doesn't seem so out of the blue that you're getting a touch. Now, having been in the newsroom for 20 plus years, I was used to people mm -hmm. cold pitching me all the time. People cold pitch me to this day. Mm -hmm. There's, there are some people that I profiled this year on entrepreneur who I knew about their business solely because they follow me. They commented on my work so much, or they would send me DMS after a piece and say, I love, I loved learning about this entrepreneur. Thank you so much for sharing his story or her story. And as a result, like that name 
started to be more recognized in my mind every time it popped up. And it made me go to that person's feed and say, oh, like they actually have a really interesting business too. I, I should find out what they're doing to see if it's something that I could, I could profile. But the, the more someone can reach out to the media and make relationships with real people, the better off they will be when it comes time to pitch their idea. But think about things that you can be doing in your community, events, classes. Maybe you wanna go into a nursing facility and teach people how to use their iPhone and take pictures of themselves. And maybe that's mm -hmm. a great news story that your local newsroom would love to cover. And what about for the like artists or photographers or really anybody? Like I feel like with social media, there's some people that are over, like obviously overshare and they have a lot of content out there. There are some very talented people that are undersharing and that like they're waiting for that thing to be perfect. And I don't think this is, again, this is for everybody, but I call this analysis paralysis and everybody knows like what analysis paralysis is, but it's like the, the amount of overthinking into getting something perfect that you're waiting uh, to get that feedback on. How can you overcome that? Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> so tell I, me. I spent the last two years working on my first online course. It's called Go From Camera Shy to Camera Ready. The whole goal is to help people get ready. You know, let's say your photographers out there pitch the media, they say yes. And then the photographer's like, wait, I'm so nervous. I have stage fright or imposter syndrome, or I don't know how to talk in sound bites. So I created this course for that person. But it was the most miserable experience behind closed doors because I'm such a perfectionist that it took me forever to find the people that I knew I needed to help me. It took me a long time to figure out the strategy behind developing a course and then marketing and selling a course. And so many people that I know would have just sat down in front of their Zoom, recorded a presentation, threw it up online, charged a fee, see if it worked, and then figured it out how it goes, you know, mm -hmm. like figured it out over time. And I am not that way. I am not the kind of person who builds, builds the plane in the air and figures out how to land. I build the plane on the ground. I fuel the plane. I pack the plane with people. I welcome them all on board. That's and then we take off. And I have to tell you, I have learned the hard way that that is, that is not the way to do business oftentimes. And similarly, that wasn't ever the way I could do the news. If I waited until a story was perfect, I would have never made my deadlines. I went with the information that I had. I went with the B-roll, you know, the visual elements that I had, mm -hmm. I put that piece together. I made my deadline and I did my live shot. And that was that. And I think we're better off when we, when we kind of embrace done is better than perfect, but to an extent where we, acknowledge who we are as people because my done is better than perfect is probably happening a lot later in the game than someone else's. But for me, my done is better than perfect. When I look at it, I know it's good enough as it is. I'm happy with it as it is. I don't feel the need to get back in touch with the people who are on my team to say, let's change this for the umpteenth time because it's done, it's good enough and it's out there. So if you're someone who's like me, please know you're not alone, number one. <laughs> and number two, just know that the longer you wait, the more options people have to pay other people other than you. The quicker they will be to go to that other person's website than they will be to go to yours because they won't even know that you exist. So even if the whole thing isn't finished, 
think about, are there ways that I can put pieces of what I'm doing out there so that at least my business is out there, my name is out there, and I'm starting to cultivate some opportunities. You know, what I really like about you, that you have a lot of different ways you've capitalized your intelligence and your creative skill set. Like when I was reading about, you know, introducing you, I was like, wow, she's an author. She has a course. She's a journalist. Like usually somebody's like a journalist or they're like an author or, you know, maybe they're one or two things, but not like 15 things. And, and artists, like we started just in photography and then we realized everyone was, a most people were a photographer and something. And so we started to ask them, you know, what are your skills? What else do you like to do? So I think like my audience would really relate to, I really have all these passions and I want to find a way to, to, to like satisfy my curiosity. How do you feel about those? Like, do you have confidence in all of the different projects that you do? Do you, how do you not judge yourself trying these different things? And then how do you um, kind of develop each little segment or each different type of thing that you work on? Well, it's so funny because I think five, 10 years ago, when I was working with all of these cylinders up and running, we would call that a multi-hyphenate today. And that's a good thing. But back Mm -hmm. then you looked like someone who was fragmented and not focused. Mm -hmm. So when I was in the newsroom, I didn't make enough money to live off of my salary in the newsroom. And as a result, I was a party planner. I started a matchmaking business. Wow. What else did I do back then? I want to be a matchmaker too. Can we get in business together? <laughs> I mean, it feels so good to connect good people with other good people because yeah. sometimes it's just hard to bring good people together. So yes. I did whatever I had to do to make ends meet. But the funny thing now, oh, somewhere in there, I also started my production company because I was speaking to young people on a speaking tour at the time. I was covering a lot of teen suicides and cyberbullying stories for the news. And I felt like I needed to bridge the gap between people who look at the news and YouTube at the time, looking at these people who have these amazing lives and help them understand that it wasn't always cool to be that person and help the people hurting know that they weren't alone. So that morphed into this. How did you get that? How did you get that opportunity? So I, when I was at New York one, I was, uh, in the newsroom at the time that a boy named Tyler Clementi jumped off the George Washington bridge after his roommate captured him kissing another guy and put all of that content online. He captured that their kiss on a webcam and pretty much shared that with the, with the university and, and Tyler took his life. So I, I was so upset about this story and we had to update the story for an entire year, the, the trial that followed. And, and I just felt like I needed to do something to help people who were hurting for people who felt like people didn't see them or understand them or just felt alone, know that they weren't the only one who felt this way. So mm-hmm. that started this mission to speak to young people around the country. I, I've been on a speaking circuit myself since I was 15 years old. So I just sort of wow. moved my speaking tour into this concert. So at 15, you were like ready to get on a stage and talk with people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It started, it started a little early and, and I just realized if I didn't use my Rolodex, which again, I'm 41. So you saying even the word Rolodex, people might be like, what's a Rolodex? <laughs> Taking my contacts, you know, uh, taking my address book in my phone, whatever, whatever's the cool way to say it in 2022. 
and using those contacts for good and asking other people to share their stories, that seemed to me to be the most important thing that I could be doing with my time. And that's really what made me like wear all these different hats. I couldn't afford the life I was living with a TV news salary. I had to pick up extra money by doing these big events and being a party planner of sorts, but I knew a lot of people in New York and I knew a lot of vendors and I enjoyed bringing people together. It's sort of like check the box off for my matchmaking goals too. And then <laughs> last but not least, like this desire to help people and really bring people together in, mean, in a meaningful way, because you have to keep in mind, I'm a photographer at heart. I've shot my own videos for the news. I've taken my own pictures. Any family event we go to, they call me the royal photographer because I will take a thousand, I will take a thousand pictures at a birthday party like it's nothing, but I will spend the time. Because you look at it like documentation, I think. Yeah, like I scrapbook, you know, so like all the little people in our family get a big scrapbook for me every year. Uh, mm. I downloaded an app when my daughter was born called Keepsake and they send you a, a question every day and you get to upload a picture every day. So like, I I really love photography. I I studied photography in high school. It's been in my blood and bones ever since I can remember. So you know, to answer your question about how to do it all and does everything get a turn, I actually couldn't do what I do today without having done all of those other things. Because when I media train someone, I'm listening for them to tell me their story and for me to highlight the best parts of that story. But I also understand the nerves that come with being in the hot seat because when my book came out, and I hired a publicist for myself, I then became the person in the hot seat. I had to be the person people were pitching to the media and be patient and wait my turn and not get offended if an outlet said no and prepare if an outlet said yes. You know, the, even the matchmaking part, I'm still connecting entrepreneurs to opportunities to this day, clients to publicists to this day. So I think if you are someone who has a lot of interests and a lot of passions, if you can make it all work like connective tissue and have all of the things support each other, that's great. But you know what, if it doesn't, that's okay too, because maybe one thing you do over here is what really lights you up and brings you joy. And the other thing over here is the thing that helps you pay your bills. And sometimes the two have to exist at the same time. So whether you call yourself a multi-hyphenate or people around you say that you're doing too much and you're not focused, I don't think that either one is a bad thing. I think sometimes we go through phases where we have to be wearing a lot of hats for us to be able to filter out the things that make us money, the things that make us happy, and the things that we want to be working on long-term. So how do you tell your story and keep that singular brand of Jessica Abo? Like, how can you be this person? Because it's so frustrating, especially on like social media and Instagram, you kind of have to do one thing and just keep be, being good at that one thing. But the second you kind of veer off, like it's it's hard. So do you think this all contribute? These small little things contribute to who you are as, like maybe a brand that somebody buys into? Because uh, it's not that they're just getting hiring somebody for their services, but it's more like I believe in this message, which is actually a bunch of little messages tied together. Yeah. And I think this is true for a lot of people. For me, I got to a stage in my career where I really just wanted to be laser focused on media training. It's the thing that I love the most. And it's the thing that I feel like brings all of the things that I love to do together. So now I just ha uh, launched a new website and 
I had in the back of my mind, this idea of, I should really update my website for many, many years, but I didn't know if I wanted to be Jessica Abo, the news reporter and have a newsreel splashed on the homepage. So I could get a job at KTLA or CBS LA. I didn't know if I wanted to be Jessica Abo, the author and the keynote speaker and only feature the book and keynotes that I've Mm -hmm. given. But now it's Jessica Abo is a media trainer who uses her experience in the newsroom, who uses her experience as an author and understanding PR and whatever else, you know, uh, we, we map out on the homepage to support why I am qualified to help someone else who's out there with their own PR goals. And that to me makes the most sense, but it took a while to get here. And I think if someone is in a place where they're just figuring it out, that's okay. But this is where social media can be really, really hard because you might be going online and you might see your college roommate has figured it out. Your high school nemesis has figured it out, (laughs) laid off from your job. And somehow the rest of your team who got laid off has figured it out and you're not there yet. And social media can be a really painful mirror sometimes of where we are not and remind us of the things we want, but don't have. And I think we have to flip that script and use social media as a resource to follow experts who have business ideas, who have career advice, who have those daily mantras or meditations or breathing exercises to help us be empowered in that place of being stuck opposed to just sitting there and staying there. So I think social media is not the enemy. I always say loneliness is because I think when we feel alone, we might reach for our phone to feel like we belong, to feel like someone sees us because we see those likes racking up. But if we use social media as an education platform, as a tool to help us know things and meet people who we might not have known otherwise, then I think we're setting ourselves up for success. So what's that like switch in your mind that allows you to think of it this way instead of the way that we've been consuming it for so many years. How do you say, oh, this is my phone. It's an education resource instead of this is my phone. These are all these people traveling to all these cool places, or these are all these people becoming so successful or finding love or whatever they're doing that I'm not. So a couple of things here. The first is that when I was doing research for the book and I learned about how our brains are wired and I learned about how it is in our DNA to compare ourselves, really it's the social comparison theory. So as social animals, it's in our DNA to compare ourselves to the social status of other animals. That was like a big, oh, that is so interesting. So this isn't even my fault. I'm wired to be this way because I'm a human. Okay, that's number one. Number two, we care about our reputations. Our brains are wired to care about what people think about us. Okay, so here's another thing that we're predisposed to. The third thing was when I was on the book tour, I did a radio show at NYU and it was a medical program with a team of doctors and someone in the show shared this crazy story about how people who work in casinos and on slot machines were some of the people who worked on apps and social media platforms. And when I learned that, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I am not going to have this phone control me. I am going to control my phone. And at the time I met my husband, New York One was going through all of these changes. 
And I don't know what would have been in store for me had I stayed, but I had one foot out the door because my husband, when we met was in LA and I was in New York and it was easier for me to move my career than it was for him to move his. So I, I knew that after our wedding, I was- Or you were like sunshine and palm trees I'm just, <laughs> instead of like dog pee on the sidewalk. Oh, well, yeah. he'll tell you, it, it took some convincing because I was that girl. I was like, I'm never leaving New York. I love this place. You know, the magic of the hustle and bustle oh, and the- grit and the like yeah. trash like oh I like I loved oh you bump into me on the subway no problem <laughs> you know <laughs> now I'm like oh my gosh I can't believe like the crazy uh-huh. life I live there but you know it but it was a little painful when I got here at first here I am I I had just signed the book deal we had found out that I was pregnant my my book and my daughter were due the same day so my first year in LA I was really isolated because I was writing all day every day so I didn't have to be that lunatic who came to the hospital with a laptop and in between contractions was like let me just push send I have to get my manuscript out so I I was reinventing myself and seeing all of these pictures on social media from all of my former colleagues who were getting these incredible opportunities. And I had to make the switch by saying, I can be sad. I don't live in New York anymore. And that I'm missing out on these opportunities, or I can start to embrace LA and make a new life for myself here. And that's exactly what I did. And now I'm five years in Mm -hmm. and I can't imagine living anywhere else. So I think you have to decide when you are ready to make that switch what are you actually switching? Is it a relationship? Is it a job that makes you unhappy? Is it a, a city that you live in that you're just unhappy in and don't want to live in anymore? Like what is the thing that needs to be switched? And are you at a point where you just can't live like this anymore? Because when you get to that point, the other side is scary and messy for sure, but it's so incredibly rewarding and empowering to know that you're actually doing the thing you wanted to do. Yeah. And I wanted to also give like a few minutes to talk about um, your course, go from camera shy to camera ready. And I wanted to ask you for this course, why do you think it is important? So I I watched this thing about Warren Buffett recently, and he was talking about recessions and economic collapse. And he was saying the most important thing you can do in these times is focus on your skill sets and grow new skill sets. So you so why is this like a skill that even if nobody's asking me to be on TV, why would or is that not your audience? Because I think like being able to speak in general at your dinner table or you know, and I don't want to answer the question for you, but I would love for you to think in your mind, like why would people want to do this course? People think of PR as for celebrities. Uh why is it not? So I have a four-year-old who I try to give as many opportunities to do public speaking as possible. And in her world, that's what that means. It means speaking at the dinner table. It means when we (laughs) have a holiday and everyone is around the table together, asking her if she has anything she wants to share, a story about school or camp, not to the point where I say to her, oh, tell everybody about. It's more, hey, do you, do you want to share anything right now to just give her the confidence to have all eyeballs on her and know that she can handle that moment? Now, at the rate we're going, she is not shy. <laughs> so I think, I think you know who she takes after in this department. But I do think that this is a muscle we do not flex until much later in life, until we're maybe in high school or in college and we take a public speaking class or until our first job and our boss asks us to make a presentation. And this is something that matters when we are on a date. 
we want to be able to share, but control the narrative of what we want to share, because sometimes we don't want everyone to know everything about us on day one. And sometimes we do, but we want to put it in a way that makes us feel like we're in charge of our content. Then there are the feelings of we want to be promoted and we want to put ourselves out there, but we don't feel like we have anything important to say because of imposter syndrome or because we're the only X on the team, maybe the only female, maybe the only person who's married, maybe the only person who's a parent, maybe the only minority, whatever the, the thing is. So we tell ourselves we are unworthy of these opportunities. So I think having the ability to control the narrative, speak in sound bites, know how to pivot. What do you do when you get a question you don't know the answer to, or you don't want to answer, or because of your job or family situation, you are unable to answer at this time. How do you set up your shot? I mean, in your community, I would imagine a lot of people know, like you're sitting now, how to follow the rule of thirds and why depth of field is important. These sort of things, you know, might be part of our everyday understanding, but mm -hmm. they're not for the average person. So do I want someone to look good when they're presenting to their team or they are talking to a potential client just as much as I want them to look good if they're going on CNN? Absolutely. I just was teaching my master class right before I logged on with you. And that's what one of my students asked me. She's a physician. And she said, do I want to set up my shot and have proper lighting when I'm talking to people on my team or my patients, or is it only for when I go on the local news? But think about how you feel when someone is looking at the camera and you feel like they're talking to you directly versus head down, looking somewhere else on their keyboard because they don't know where the camera is. You feel like mm -hmm. you're not in a conversation together. So these are things that I think are important for people all across the board in real life, on virtual opportunities, and during live appearances. Well, for that doctor, for so many other people, like, how do you, like, it's so awkward to decide, okay, my office is now going to be a studio because I want to share. And maybe, of course, it's something important that they want to share. But how do you, that like go from camera shy, like how do you, is there, do you find that people do make a decision? I'm going to stop being shy and that's why I'm going to enroll in this course. Or are they just like dragging themselves and just like going through the motions until they become like, do you have to force yourself through it or do you make a decision to stop being shy? I think some people realize if I don't do this, I'm going to keep seeing my competition out there. And it's driving me so bananas to see other people who are less qualified than I am get this attention that I have to get over yeah. myself. So I think that's number one. Number two, I think people get to a point, just like we were chatting about flipping the switch in your life. I think people mm -hmm. get to a point where they're like, this is insane. I have so many years of experience behind me. Maybe it's school, maybe it's work. How am I not putting myself out there. Like I have to put faith over fear. So then they flip the switch and say, okay, I'm just going to put myself out there, learn what I need to learn and start doing this. And I had a client once she was an author and she is at a very prestigious clinic and she had a panic attack on the phone, just talking to me about whether or not we were going to work together. <laughs> she was so scared to do interviews. Oh. And now she yeah. sends me clips like on a weekly basis because she hired a publicist after we were done working together and she just needed to work out some things, you know, to get her on the right path. And now that she's on the right path, she realizes, wait, like I, I should have been doing this years ago. I could have been telling my story years ago. I said no to opportunities to speak on behalf of my 
clinic and I turn down opportunities to receive awards. And I think that's what happens too. I think people start to see that stack of no's and they realize, wait, like, but why, why am I taking away opportunities for myself? And then they just decide now is the time, but there are some people who drag themselves too. Sometimes it's their bosses who are like, you need media training and ta-da. And then like they come in and maybe aren't thrilled at the beginning, but I hope that they feel like it was worth it in the end. No, I think they, like my main thing, my main question was the the process of doing builds your confidence. Like you're not going to be able to say, okay, I'm going to get confident. It's like, you're like, okay, I need, no, I need to do it, but then you just do it, do it, do it, do it. And then it's like, oh, okay, I did it. And it's fine. Yeah. So that's- in all honesty, that's how I feel about this course. Like I didn't enjoy yeah. it for two full years. I had to show up and work at something all day, every day. And I really, I really didn't like it. I didn't like learning about Kajabi. I didn't like having to work on the script and shoot the videos. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't enjoy it. It wasn't, it wasn't my thing. I am so much happier sitting with one person and just helping them with their story and seeing them thrive or, or being in this masterclass environment but I knew I needed a product that would help me scale because I can't be sitting at my computer all day, every day, reaching everyone around the world. So I think it's okay to admit that there are parts of what you do along your journey that you genuinely don't like, but you know that they're going to bring you to the place that you need to be. And now that my Mm -hmm. website was turned on, I can do the things I love, like have a conversation with you, like think about the marketing, like think about speaking opportunities where I could be bringing in this skill set and try to connect with people in real time. And that's way more exciting to me than thinking about copy for a website and the logo of a website. Like that just, it didn't light me up. That's great. I remember when I first had to start pitching Scopio and I pitched in front of thousands of people, like literally a thousand people at one point. Um, and the beginning I would be like, Scopio is, and I would be on stage and I would completely freeze. And I totally forgot what my business did. I like, was like, what does it do? What is it? And I couldn't figure, figure out why that would happen to me. And then I realized I'm trying to get them to like, tell me that it's a good idea instead of me telling them I'm doing this anyways, you guys are just listening to what I'm sharing about what I'm working on. And once I said, oh, I'm just sharing what I'm working on. I'm not like waiting for you because because it was for money. I mean, when you pitch, it's for money. So you want them to like you and they want, you want them to give you money. So I was always like, always failing at it, always failing at it. And I was like, what do I have to do to get them to like me? And then I realized, wait, like, I'm going to do this anyways, if they like me, great. And if they want to invest, great. But um, it's like, they just get to hear my story. It's not that I need their approval for anything. And, uh, when you know that you can do something, no matter who approves you, like that's a good, that's a good start to how you can develop because especially when you need things like external resources or funding or whatever to get started, or you think you need that. So that was always so scary. Um, especially for women, because you look around you and you're like, what am I doing here? Um, especially back then when there was like no one there except for you. So, um, so that, yeah, that was my experience. And it's something I always work on. Um, you always want to communicate your message better. Like even small things, like small things, like I was at a restaurant and I asked the, the lady that was waiting, I said, what's your favorite dessert? And she said, I, um, I like everything, but the coconut cake, I just don't like that one. 
And I was like, yeah, but she didn't tell me any of the other cakes that were delicious that I would want to order. So she spent all of her time, even that two minutes that she had to convince me to, to get one of the other cakes to basically turn me off of wanting anything. So then I thought, oh, should I tell her? Like she could have like sold me on the other ones. And so I feel like, you know, I would love for people to tell me that sometimes, you know, like, oh, maybe if you spent, and you have to do that in sales and in your life, you have to know that if you are trying to win someone over, you have to focus on these, you only have X amount of time. You have to focus on that, on whatever you want to focus on. And actually answer the question. <laughs> Yeah, and answer. I'm I'm not the best at answering questions, but <laughs> uh, answer answer like in the direction. Um, if I want to leave with like two practical tips for people, I love this book. I told you I just read it. Um, I know it was a little bit ago that you wrote it, and I'm sure you've had a lot of reflection on it. Are there two like hacks or tips you could give people to feel happier uh, as they look on social media? The first would be to turn off your alerts because your phone does not need to be buzzing and ringing and notifying you of every little thing happening at all times. And if you're someone who can't turn off their phone because of various reasons, maybe just set some limits as to when you're not going to use your phone. So maybe it's dinner time, the bathroom, an hour before bed, just like make that boundary. And the second would be to remind yourself that people only post what they want you to see. It's selective, positive information. So know that you're watching someone's highlight reel. It's curated content sometimes and use that information that triggers you to say, okay, clearly I am upset by what I am seeing because I don't have it and I want it or because this is reminding me of something that wasn't comfortable, whatever it might be and turn that around into, okay, this is the thing that's bothering me the most right now. These are the things that I could be doing differently to get to, from where I am to where I want to be. And I'm going to start making those changes today. Actionable. Thank you, everybody. This is Jessica Abo. Uh, Jessica, where can they find you? I'm at jessicaabo.com. Anybody who wants my free press guide, it's called Get Press with Jess. You can get that at jessicaabo.com also. The courses go from camera shy to camera ready. On my website, it just has a tab that says buy my course. On Instagram, I'm jessicaabotv. And I wish everyone the best of luck because from one photography girl to the photography <laughs> community, thank you for capturing the moments that make our lives what they are, the world what it is. Your work matters and don't ever forget that. Thank you. Bye.